listening to audio from Oasis Church in Winter Haven, Florida. For more information about Oasis Church, please visit our website at www.oasischurchwh.org. And thanks so much for listening. You know, one of the things that, uh, that really characterizes our existence is the word doubt. You know, we're constantly wrestling with doubt. Think, think about all the things that, that you have to sign. If, if you're going to take part in any kind of business transaction, any, even, even in marriage, think about all the things that folks nowadays want you to sign. Why are you signing all of those documents and initialing here and, and, and double signing here and, and bite your thumb and place your blood fingerprint here? Why is it that you're having to do that? It's because we really don't trust one another. It takes a lot to build trust, and, and, and sometimes there are folks that kind of give trust freely, but I'm telling you, if you break trust, it's very, very hard to regain that trust because we are just a society of high levels of doubt. Now, when we think about our life as followers of Jesus, which by the way, I ask this teen, of the teenagers almost every week. Some weeks I forget about that. But, but uh, let me just ask you to answer a question back to me. Are, are you, do you consider yourself a, a genuine follower of Jesus? Cool. Uh, if you're here today and you say, I can't really say yes to that, glad you're here. And I hope that you uh, recognize just how uh, easy it's going to be for you to also be able to say, yeah, I am just a simple following Jesus by faith. But if you're a follower of Jesus in, in, our, in our renewed life, you would think as, as confident as we are in the person of Jesus, in, in the existence of God, in the, in, in the way He does what He does, in, in, in His death, in our place and for our sin on that cross as a substitute for you and I, as the one who was buried and then on the third day came victorious alive from the grave, you would think that we would be so confident and we talk about how confident we are that we would never doubt. But here's what I know is true about you. You go through seasons of doubt. I know you do. You say, Pastor Kevin, how, how, how can you know that I go through seasons of doubt? It's because I go through seasons of doubt. Where we say, I just don't know. Is, is, is it possible that we've got it wrong and somebody else has it right? It, it, it's I mean, really, I've heard some good arguments about how the, the New Testament and the Old were probably put together by some folks way after, and then they said this is what, and it's not really real. I, what if they're right? We go through seasons of doubt. Maybe you've come in the house today, and you're going through a season of doubt in your life. 
Maybe it's as strong as you have been a follower of Jesus, but right now you're going through a true dark night of the soul where you're just wondering, maybe we've got it all wrong and there is no such thing as God and maybe it's all just made up. Maybe that's you today. Or maybe you're wondering whether or not they've got some of the things wrong in the Scripture. Whoever they are that did what they did. And maybe some of the things that we're reading aren't as true as we think they are. Maybe that's where you are. Maybe you're just in a season of wondering where God is in your personal situation. Or maybe you're just wondering... Why even keep going down the path I'm heading down, following him? Because it doesn't seem to get me anywhere positive. Wherever you're at in your doubt area, we're going to discover today that we're all in pretty good company. And that our doubt does not frustrate Jesus at all. You see, he is who he is regardless of our confidence in him. And our inability to trust like we want and even at times like we say we do, that doesn't offend Jesus at all. He remains faithful and true. And he will meet us in our honest doubt just like he met this one in our text today. If you have your Bibles, I'll invite you to turn to Luke chapter 7. Maybe you have the, uh, the Oasis Church app. I would encourage you to download that thing. It'll be super helpful for you. You can follow along. It's also live in version as well on your smart device. And the scripture will be on the screens. Luke chapter 7, beginning at verse number 18. We're going to see Jesus help one of the most important characters in the New Testament deal with his own doubts. The disciples of John reported all these things to him. What are all these things? Well, you just kind of start going backwards in your scripture. You see the the raising of a widow's son in the city of Nain. We see the healing of a centurion's servant without even touching or speaking a word. He just healed them at at the amazing faith of that Roman centurion. We, we hear the messages that he preached, the, the, the things about loving one's enemy and not judging and, and, and interacting with love even to those who hate you. He's, he's heard about Jesus healing two times on a Sabbath day. He's heard about the religious leaders, the Pharisees, being upset with Jesus and gathering together and deciding, you know what, this guy has got to go. John's hearing about these things as they're being reported to him. Verse number 19, and and John, calling two of his disciples to him, sent them to the Lord, saying... Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? And when the men had come to him, they said, John the Baptist has sent us to you, saying, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? 
I see in these verses and in those that are connected to it in a couple of chapters back, I see in these a proven formula for doubting. A proven formula. Now, maybe you're wondering, why is it that John sent word to Jesus? Was, was John engaged in some great ministry campaign? Was, was, was he involved in something that he just couldn't come away from and so he sent messengers? No, actually, it was a little different. I want to draw your attention back to Luke chapter 3. It's the last time we saw John the baptizer in the scene where he is proclaiming a message of repentance. He's calling on the people as a, as a prophet, having not heard from a prophet in over 400 years, he's speaking to the people of Israel a message of repentance. Why? Because the kingdom of God is at hand. Because Messiah is on his way, and you want to be ready when he arrives. And being ready is defined through terms of repentance, realizing who and what I am and the great need that I have when it comes to being holy before my Creator. And John the Baptist was doing a phenomenal job reminding the crowds just how unholy they were in and of themselves. And so John was preaching. This was the last time that we saw John. And it tells us in Luke chapter 3, verses 15 through 17, it says, As the people were in expectation and were questioning in their hearts concerning John, whether he might be the Christ, they're hearing what he's saying, they're seeing the bizarre form in which he carried himself. He was a man of the woods. Like he lived out in the open air. He, he was dressed in camel's hair with a leather belt. He probably smelled really bad. His hair was all out of place. And he just raved like what would have appeared to be a crazed man. But his words were piercing. His words were pointed. And his words raised the attention of the nation. And they came out to hear what he said, and, and, and they're looking at one another, and they go, you don't reckon he's the Messiah, do you? I mean, he's, his father was a, he's one of the, one, one of the temples, or one of the Levites. I mean, he's, he's in a pretty big rotate. Isn't he the one that saw the angel, and they heard about his birth, and wasn't his mama really old when he was born? And I mean, you, Do you reckon that could be Messiah? And John answered them all, verse 16 of chapter 3, saying, I baptize you with water. But he who is mightier than I is coming, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. John says, I'm baptizing you into the message of repentance. When you come down in here in the water, what you're saying to everyone around is I dunk you down and raise you up. You're saying that I agree with what John is saying. I agree that I need to repent, that I am unholy in the sight of my creator, and that for me to be right with God when Messiah comes is going to require a, a surrender on my part on behalf of my my own sin, and they came by the dozens to be baptized, and many on the side of the river said, I don't know about what you're saying. And John says, what I'm doing is baptizing you with water in anticipation of the one to come. 
But when the one who's coming gets here, you need to understand, not only am I not Messiah, I'm not even worthy to do the slave task of getting down on my knees to untie his sandals to wash his feet. I'm not even worthy to do that. No, I'm not Messiah. And in fact, when he comes, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Pause. All right, you ready? Fast forward. Those of you who remember the VHS recorders, you hit that button and you don't want to go too far. Fast forward and we'll run up into the book of Acts. And when the Holy Spirit came, how did he present himself? With a great wind and fire above their head. The one who is to come will baptize you, will plunge you into the Holy Spirit, and he will be with you, and he'll be signified by fire. Okay, now let's rewind, and here we're back in Luke. He's coming, and he's going to do far more than what I'm doing. I'm just telling you to get ready. When he gets here, he's going to do work in you that I could never do. And then verse number 17. He sets the stage for this kingdom king. He says, his winnowing fork is in his hand to clear the threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. Chad Greer dealt with this passage while we were gone up to the winter retreat in Snowbird. It's this idea, John is saying, when, when he comes, he's going to do a work that's going to involve the Holy Spirit. It's going to be far superior than what we're doing here in the water of the Jordan River. And when he comes in, it's, it's kind of like some of y'all are John Wayne fans, you know, and some of you are Clint Eastwood fans. It just kind of depends on which generation you're in. And then you've got a host of other modern actors in the cowboy role. But one of my favorite things in a typical Western movie is when the hero, the sheriff, or whoever he is come to town to take care of business walks into the saloon and he kicks those doors open. And I mean, they come and you just see that silhouette and it's the music in the background. I mean, you're just like, it's on now. So, little side note, in my mom and dad's house, between the kitchen and the living room were some of those saloon doors. Okay, I can assure you it doesn't work like it does in the movie. They come back, they hit you in the face, or you break the doors and you get in trouble. But you know what I'm talking about, right? When the hero comes in, and I mean, he just begins to pow, pow, pow. He ain't even looking where he's shooting, and it's finding the mark, you know. Well, that's what John is setting up as it involves Jesus. Now, who was Israel under the occupation of at this time? Who was the nation who occupied and ruled over Israel? Somebody tell me. Rome. Who was before them? Greeks. Who was before them? One before, one after them, the Persians. And then before them was the Babylonians. So these folks have been under a lot of occupation. They've been under the thumb of a whole lot of world leaders. And, and the prophets were promising the Messiah coming and reestablishing Israel. 
and setting them back up and taking care of all those world powers and resuming God's purpose and plan for His chosen people inaugurated by, boom, Messiah when He comes in with His winnowing fork. And He's going to start scooping up the wheat and He's going to be lifting it up. They're going to bang it and lift it up and the wheat's going to fall and that chaff is going to stay and He's going to blow it away and they're going to gather it up and they're going to burn it. The stuff that's good is going to rise to the top. The stuff that's bad is going to get burnt up and God's going to have completed what He promised. Now, all that's going to happen. John's set in this state. The one who's coming... Well, he's going to do a work of the Holy Spirit in you. And he's bringing his winnowing fork, and he's going to separate, and he's going to elevate, and he's going to bring to completion. And you know what? True statement. Absolute true statement. But then we learn in Luke chapter 18, after Jesus arrives on the scene... Jesus arrives on scene at the Jordan and John baptizes him. We learn in the Gospel of John that when John sees Jesus, he says, say it with me if you know, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He's here, y'all. He's, that's the one. And he comes down, whoa, wait a minute, you're getting in here? I'm supposed to baptize him. Jesus, I can't baptize you. Jesus says, yeah, you can I, I want to be identified with this message of repentance that you're preaching. I want to be identified with the fulfillment of these promises that you're making. You're on the right track, brother. You're being a faithful servant. And I need to be identified with that because I want these folks to know that I agree with what you're saying. And then when I'm done, then they'll follow me and you'll point them to me. And so he baptizes Jesus and he leaves. And then we learn, Luke tells us in, in chapter 3, verse number 18... With so many other exhortations, he preached good news to the people. But Herod, the Tetrarch, this is Herod Antipas, the son of Herod the Great. But Herod, the Tetrarch, who had been reproved by him for Herodias, his brother's wife, and for all the evil things that Herod had done, added this to them all that he locked John up in prison. So here's what happens. So John is preaching Jesus. He's preaching Messiah. He's preaching repentance. He's saying, get your house in order because the one is coming and you want to be ready and we're going to follow him and we're going to see what God's going to do. And John also was preaching prophetically to just about anything else he saw that needed addressing. And one of those things was the fact that Herod Antipas had divorced his wife so that he could marry his brother Philip's wife who had left him who ironically was the niece to both of those guys if that ain't Maury Povich episode I don't know what is and so John just being a faithful proclaimer of truth I'm just imagining that he's preaching repentance and Herod comes riding by to get a look at the crazy man out in the wilderness and I'm just imagining God, John goes, and another thing, I see Herod is here with us today and you're breaking all kind of God's law for marrying your brother's wife who's also your niece and God ain't down with that brother and that's on you. 
you know, one of the things I try not to do is to call you out on your sin in public, right? And, and, and you know, it's a beneficial thing to you and to me because, quite frankly, I don't want you to be able to go, well, you know what, and call me out. So we don't do a lot of that. But when you're a prophet and God has told you to say these things, you get a little leeway. And so John just let go, and another thing, and then Herod decided, you know what, I don't like too much him calling me out like that, and his wife Herodias, who shouldn't have been his wife, was a relative, and his brother's wife said, you know what, we need to lock him up, and that's exactly what happened. So to answer the question, why did John send representatives to to ask Jesus this very important question, it's because John is sitting in Herod's jail cell. And John is hearing about a lot of things. His, 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 his followers are coming back and they're, they're giving him updates on what is happening through the ministry of Jesus. They're coming back to him as often as they can with a list of things. And, and he did this. And here's what he said. You'll not believe he said this just in front of everybody. And he picked some guys. And here are the folks he picked. He picked like four fishermen out of Galilee. And then there was this other guy. And so they're telling, they're telling about the healings and the, the miracles and the statements. And they're coming back. And I imagine that John is sitting there thinking, yeah, yeah but, but, but has he said anything about Rome? Has he, has he said anything about, you know, I'm coming for you, Caesar? Any, anything like that? Has he started gathering up folks to follow him to charge at least the governor's palmy? Are you, are you hearing anything about that? Because I know at the winnowing fork and the threshing and the chaff and the burning and all, I know that's happening. What do you hear about that? And they're like, yeah, he's not saying a lot about that. And in fact, John, he, Man, he preached this sermon on the side of this hill just outside of Capernaum. I mean, it was, it was amazing the things he was saying. Like he was telling us that we're to love those who hate us. We're to, we're to do good to those who would never do good to us. And I'm just imagining John's like, okay, wait, what? Not I, I know that I said what God told me to say and it was about the one coming and what he was going to do and how it was going to unfold and, and you're telling me, what? They're saying, yeah, it's, but it, John, I don't know. It was awesome. And, and not only is he telling us to do that, like he's doing that. People are rejecting him and he's just loving them. And he's telling us that we're not to take up any kind of grudges or judgments against them, that we're just supposed to keep pouring out our love to them. And, and, and I just think the first step in this perfect formula for doubting is a mis-expectation of how God is going to work. 
You see, I think John was falling into the same trap of the Pharisees. You see, the Pharisees, the, the, the scribes, the lawyers, they all wanted Messiah to come and they wanted him to be the Clint Eastwood Messiah and they would follow in behind him as his number one individuals and they would overthrow Rome and everything would be great and we'll all be cheering Jesus and they'll all be cheering us and then we'll all be accomplishing God's purpose. And Jesus not only wasn't doing what they wanted, he wasn't even condoning the things they were teaching. And so the, the religious leaders were like, oh, wait a second, you're saying we got it wrong? No, you got it wrong, buddy. We're going to do you in. So they had a whole other thing going. But in the same kind of respect, I think John is sitting there going, wait, wait a minute, what, what are you talking about? What about the stuff? What about the fire? What about the bringing things to the conclusion that we're all expecting? And they're like, I, I don't know, John, but the things he's doing, man, it's awesome. He's like, look, God, you, you're, I need you to go ask him a question for me. I, I, I need you to get word to him because I'm beginning to wonder, well, maybe he's not the one. Is that possible? It's just a mis-expectation of how God's going to work. It wasn't working out like he thought. The second in that formula is that he's sitting in the middle of personal crisis. So it's a mis-expectation of how God's going to work. Well, I know I read this, and I know I saw this, and I know that guy preached that, and, and he said, if I will, then he will, and, and I think I have, but he hasn't, and I don't understand, and I'm beginning to doubt whether or not God even knows or understands or cares, and I'm wondering because I'm, I'm mis-expecting. I have an expectation of what God's supposed to do, and then he doesn't do that, and I begin to doubt who he is and his capability, and maybe even if he cares. You know, we do that all the time in our own personal relationships. We, if you're in a marriage relationship, you have expectations of your spouse, and I promise you that your spouse does not think the same way you do. Most of the time, when we get our feelings hurt with one another, it's not really about what they did maliciously to us or what they said that they were trying to hurt us. It's just us just being us and, and us not meeting the expectation of the other. And then we're hurt, we're frustrated, and then we're mad because you don't love me. And typically we're like, what are you talking about? It's because the expectations have not been met. Most of the time, when we deal with doubt as followers of Jesus, it's because we have an expectation of God that He's not fulfilling. And it's based on what we think He said. We, we, we base it on what we expect Him to do, and He's not doing it. And we're going, well, well God, why would you say that if you're not going to do it? Because we're mis-expecting. And then you throw in personal crisis when we most often expect God to do things. And, and, and most of the time in personal crisis, we've done all the research, we've run all the numbers, 
We, we put together the plan. We've got it for God. We're like, God, I've, listen, I've done it all for you. So I'm going to leave this at your feet with my five-point plan. If you could go ahead and get this started, I'd appreciate it. I know you can. You said you love me. You said you'd never leave me. So there you go. In personal crisis, our expectation levels skyrocket. And then we're pacing back and forth. Well, well, where is God? He said he was here. I don't see him. I don't hear him. It's because he's not doing what we expect. And that personal Christ, I'm thinking probably a jail cell would be a time of a personal stress increase. I'm just thinking that's probably a reality. I'm not cut out for jail. I know that. It would be a high stress for me. And I'm just imagining even this guy who was fearless is in a cell probably wrestling with the fact that I was the one that was called to go before you. And I was pretty sure you're the one who could bring everything to pass, not the least of which could make sure that I'm not sitting in a jail cell. I mean, what am I doing? I thought I was your number one guy. And now I'm sitting in the jail. I'm pretty sure you got more power and authority than Herod, but I'm still here. Can you go ask Jesus, what's up? I think that's what John's wrestling with. Mis-expectation of what's God, what God's done. What? <laughs> A mis-expectation of what God is doing Brought to a boil by personal stress and crisis. And then the last one is just an incomplete revelation. An incomplete understanding. And and do you realize that even though John was proclaiming things he might not have ever even thought of before. At the obedience of the Father who was leading him. and, and, And the Spirit who had been given to him for that purpose. I believe in the same way it was given to David and to Joshua and the others. And he's walking in the fulfillment of what God's called him to do. Even in all that he still had incomplete revelation. I don't think John had any clue whatsoever about the death and resurrection of Messiah, even though the prophet Isaiah had specifically laid that out in his work in chapter 53 in our chapter divisions. I think John had no clue. It was incomplete. And you know what? Every time you wrestle with doubt, you will wrestle with incomplete revelation. Incomplete understanding. We don't know everything about what we got. I mean, there's some things in here that cause us to go, I don't know what he's talking about. I I don't even know how that applies to me and how he's going to bring this. We don't even know everything about what we have. We don't even begin to scratch the surface of who God is. And how his plan works together. And how that thing that we're upset with God and doubting him about is going to play dividends not only in our life but potentially in the lives of others if we'll just trust God and walk with him through the valley of the shadow trusting in his prayer. We got no idea and yet we're sitting there going, well, I don't know, man. You know, I'm going through this and I know what God said but I just don't know and I, I hey. Maybe I'm back to the drama. Maybe I'm, maybe I'm not the follower I thought I was. 
Say, I know you've been there because I've been there. And chances are great, I might get there again before the week's over. And chances are great, that's where you're at right now. So they come to Jesus and they go, uh, <clears throat> Lord, John wanted us to come find out if you were the one or was there another. He would ask you if he could be here, but he's in jail. I guess you knew he was in jail. He just wanted to know if you're really the one or if there is another. Look at verse 21. The divine prescription for addressing doubts. You're sick, you go to the doctor, what do you want? You want a Z-Pack. <laughs> Even if a Z-Pack's not, you'd want them to give you one because you think it'll work, right? You want them to prescribe you something to help you with what's bothering Jesus goes, I hear you, I hear you. In that hour, he healed many people of diseases, that's, that's sicknesses, that's like, that, that like viruses and, and things that are causing me to be physically ill of diseases and plagues, that word plagues, it, it's, it's a general word for like suffering and, 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 and things of that nature. So these were probably people with withered limbs, maybe they couldn't see or hear, and, and, and physical maladies that they, that they had, not so much diseases. And evil spirits, so he healed in that hour. So it, it's almost like Jesus heard what they said, and, and like... Well, I'll, let me get back with you. And kept doing what he was doing. Healing this one. Healing that one. Diseases, plagues, uh, and evil spirits. He, he, he was casting out demons. Authority over sickness and disease and, and brokenness and, and evil. He's casting out in, in that hour. He just keeps doing these things in front of these guys. And on many who were blind, he bestowed sight. So he just keeps performing the things that only he can perform. And he answered them, verse 22. Go and tell John what you have seen and heard. And then Jesus is going to... He's going to begin pulling things from the Old Testament. Some, some, some things that John would have known. I, I don't know if you're watching The Chosen. You, you need to be if you're not. It's a fantastic... Is it perfect? No. But I was watching some of the second season last night, and, and the disciples in a moment just started quoting a large passage out of the book of Ezekiel. And they're just saying it. And, and you know, it was really cool to watch them. You know, what they were doing was they were demonstrating the things that they had learned as a child in the Hebrew synagogues, in the, in the Saturday schools that they would go to. And they would learn large portions of Scripture they knew knew these things they could quote these things they knew what the old testament said and jesus said go back and tell john the things you've seen and the things you've heard and he starts pulling out of isaiah the blind have received their sight the lame walk lepers are cleansed and the deaf hear the dead are raised up and the poor have good news preached 
to them. And because we didn't go to Saturday school, let me draw your attention back to the prophet Isaiah. In Isaiah 29, 18, Isaiah said, In that day the deaf shall hear the words of a book, and out of their gloom and darkness the eyes of the blind shall see. What day is that? The day of the Lord. Isaiah 35, 5 and 6, Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened, and the ears of the deaf unstopped. And then shall the lame man leap like a deer, and the tongue of the mute sing for joy, for waters break forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. Isaiah 61, 1 and 2, when the, the passage that Jesus actually read in his hometown of Nazareth, when everybody got mad at him, he said, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He sent me to, the blind, to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of a prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, the day of the vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn. Jesus said, go back and tell John the things you've seen, the things you've heard, and the things he knows about me. Go tell him, don't doubt. I'm the one. And basically in that, trust me to do what the Father tells me to do in the right time. Because it's all got to come in the right order. Go to, not, man, I can't believe, yeah, I just thought John was a good servant. Oh, man, that really just burns me up that he's doubting me now. Are y'all not telling? No, Jesus understood that he had a misexpectation. He's in a difficult crisis and he has limited understanding. And then Jesus does these things and go, quickly, guys, you go tell him the things you've seen and heard. And remind him that all of the things you're seeing and hearing are connected to the promises made about the one, and that's me. Don't discount the winnowing fork. Don't discount the way things are going to ultimately come. Don't discount how God is going to finish His plan and bring things to completion and reward those who love Him and destroy those who reject Him. Don't discount all of that. Boom! is coming. It's just not now. But I'm Him. Go, go tell my brother. Hang in there. I'm bringing freedom to the captive. But he's never going to get out of that jail cell. Well, he's going to come out in two parts. His head's going to come out. His body's going to be taken and buried. But those of us who are fortunate to have come years and years after to hear from a gentleman by the name of Paul the Apostle learn that to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And those who are present with the Lord are just hanging out, waiting on God to say, all right, it's time. And when it's time, you know what? Boom, I'm back. Go tell John. Remember what he's heard. Trust what you have seen. Keep hanging on. Basically, he's saying, remember the promises. 
and trust the eyewitnesses. We're going to get back to that in a minute. And then Jesus turns to the crowd. And he just gives a kind tribute to this one named John. He doesn't dog him. In fact, he praises him. Even in his doubts, the one who shouldn't have doubted of all people to be doubting, you're the one that said he was the Lamb of God. And he's doubting me. Now, what are you going to do, Jesus? I'm going to sing his praises. I'm going to talk about this faithful servant. When John's messengers had gone, Jesus began to speak to the crowds, verse 24, concerning John. He said, what did you all go out into the wilderness to see? Did you all go out to see a reed shaken by the wind? Some of y'all traveled great distance. How many of y'all went out to see John? Yeah, yeah, I see all those hands. What did you go out there? Did you go out to see the sights and just to see the the reed swaying back in the river? No, that's not what you went out there to see. What, What then did you go out to see? Did you go out to see a man dressed in soft, fine clothing? No, of course you didn't. You would have gone to a palace to see. What caused you to go so far out into the wilderness? What did you go to see? What then, verse number 26, did you go out to see? You went out to see a prophet, didn't you? Yep, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is he of whom it is written in the book of Malachi chapter 3, verse 1. I won't quote that, but I'll read this in Luke. He says, Behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way before you. Yep, you went out to see a prophet, and he's even more than a prophet. He's the forerunner of Messiah prophesied by Malachi, the one you've been waiting on. That's the one you went out, and that's the one you saw. Verse 28, I tell you, among those born of women, none is greater than John, the last of the prophets, the last of those who speak with that Old Testament authority in the line of Samuel and Isaiah and and, and Elisha and Elijah, with Daniel and others like him. Of all of the prophets, John's the greatest, and I'm going to tell you why. Because John had the privilege of saying, he's coming, and there he is. Yep, John's the greatest one of all the prophets. Man, what a privilege. Yet the one who is the least in the kingdom is greater than he. Oh, yeah, when it comes to prophets, top shelf, y'all. My cousin John, the one who doubted me, hey, hey, he's going to get through this. He's going to get through this. He's going to be encouraged and he's going to give his life. I'm not telling y'all that, but he's going to get through this. Top shelf, number one prophet. But listen to me, y'all listening. The least of the kingdom is greater than him. You know why? Because our message is not he's coming and there he is. Our message is he's come, he's paid your sin, he's wiped it out. You can be forgiven and made right because he is risen. And he'll be your savior if you just lay it all on the line with him. Jesus is like, John had the best of the best of the Old Testament message. 
but you're following me and you get to point folks to me and that's better than John ever had verse 29 when all the people heard this the tax collectors too they declared God just this is an interesting statement basically what Luke is saying is is that those who had gone to John and heard about the fact that 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 repentance is needed and Messiah is coming and and you can you can repent and you can be right and there were those going now I can't believe that I'm going to be right but I'm going to identify with John's baptism and I hope so and now Jesus is saying what he said is absolutely true and and I think what Luke is saying is those who came with hopes that maybe this message that this crazy man in the wilderness is preaching is true when they heard Jesus declare what he did they went we were right all along praise God he's justified in what John said because now this one has confirmed it but the Pharisees and the lawyers who rejected John's baptism were also rejecting the purpose of God for themselves not having been baptized by him at the self same time as Jesus was declaring the validity of John's message and ministry those who had followed him were saying yes we're here and you're the one and we're going to keep following and those who rejected were proving that their rejection of repentance made them on the outside of Jesus. And Luke says, To what then shall I compare the people of this generation, Jesus? And what are they like? They're like a bunch of children sitting in the marketplace calling out to one another. Listen to what they say. They said, We played the flute. You didn't dance. We, we sang a dirge and you didn't weep. Here's what Jesus is saying. It's like a bunch of kids out there sitting down going, we wanted to play wedding ceremony and you wouldn't dance. You wouldn't play our rule. And then we thought you would want to play the funeral. So we did the funeral and you wouldn't weep. You wouldn't moan. So you just, well, because you wouldn't do what we wanted to do, we're going to take our stuff and go home. You ever played with kids like that? Yes. If you're going, I don't recall playing with kids like that. You were the ones. It was you. (laughs) Jesus says, that's what y'all are like. Like a bunch of kids who want their own way. And then when they don't get their own way, they take their stuff and they go home. Verse 33, for John the Baptist has come eating no bread and drinking no wine. He ate grasshoppers and wild honey, and he didn't go to the store. He didn't take a bath. He didn't have a house. And you called him a demon. You say he has a demon. Why? Because he wouldn't dance to the beat of your drum. And then the Son of Man, that's me. That's the title found in Daniel 7. It's about that one who was to come to break down that image of all those other kingdoms. We'll get to that later. But then the Son of Man has come eating and drinking and celebrating. And what do you do? You call him a drunkard. You can't have your own way. So what have you done? You've gotten mad. You've gone home. You've rejected. But to your own peril, you've rejected. You called him a friend of tax collectors and and sinners, yet wisdom is justified by all her children. Jesus is like, but that's okay. That's okay. Um, the message that we're proclaiming 
It's going to be clearly visible in the lives of those who receive. And you know what? You and I are a part of that long lineage of children of God that are justifying the message not only of John, but proclaimed by Jesus. As we follow him faithfully, doubting, yep, yep, you're going to doubt. Let's, let's talk application. The thing you need to go home with, the thing you need to wrestle with today. You need to, if you're a follower of Jesus, if you're not a follower of Jesus, you're going to doubt a lot of things. In fact, there's nothing that you can put your trust in in this world system, in this universe, other than Jesus himself. But if you're a follower of Jesus, you're going to have doubts. You're going to have seasons. You're going to have times when you're wondering if it's real or not. You need to expect those waves to come when you experience personal crisis and stress. When you go through times of great difficulty, expect times of doubting. Expect there to be seasons where you go, oh, God, I think you just don't care. Here's what you need to realize. You don't need to waste your time trying to hide your doubts. Don't pretend like they're not there. You know what you need to do? You need to go to the one who you're doubting. You need to be honest about it. And you need to bring them directly to the Lord. Honest, on your face, in your car, wherever you're at, in your closet out in the back 40, wherever you got to go, you need to get out there and you need to say, God, I don't understand and, 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 and I think you don't care and, and I think you don't watch and you don't understand and don't know and that you're not going to do and you're not doing what I'm expecting and I'm quite frankly mad at you right now wondering if you're real or not. You, you can do that. God can take it. You know, have you ever had a kid stomp off mad at you? What do you do most of the time as parents? They turn their back and they stomp off. And most of the time, you look at one of them and you go, I wish I had a picture of that. Oh, that was so funny. Because you're just like, I love them so much, they just don't get it. And they're just being what? Kids. So get out there and let it rip. Just let God have it. He can take it. And he loves you. And he gets you. And that's good for you. And then you share your doubts with a trusted brother or sister. Who who will come alongside and comfort and encourage and remind you that God hadn't forgot you. Do you have those folks in your life? If you do, you're blessed. If you don't, you've got work to do this week. Find folks that will tell you the truth when you need to hear it. You go, let God have it. And then you go, tell your brothers how mad you are at God. Tell your sisters how disappointed you are in His ability to take care of you. And then let them be a comfort and a help and an encouragement. And let them go to Jesus on your behalf. And then you're going to do what God told those guys to go tell John. I want you to go back here and I want you to remind him what does it say? I, I, know, I know it's not working out like you expect but what does it say? And then what did they see? And for you and I that's one and the same thing. What does God's word say about him 
And then what do people like Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Timothy, Paul, uh, what do they see with their own eyes and record for you and me? You're going to trust the eyewitnesses and you're going to trust those things that were said. And, and, and your circumstance might not change one lick. But you'll remember who he is. You'll remember what he said and what he will do. And if you'll allow him, he'll put his arm around you and go, now let's keep walking. And that's the last encouragement. Press on. Press on. Press on in faith. Believing. Amen? All right, Dan. You doubting today? Well, let Jesus address it. You might not change it, but let him address it. If you're not doubting yet, encourage those who are and be ready. The next difficulty you face, it'll be your turn, and he'll be there. He never changes. Let's stand together. Maybe it is you're here today. You've never trusted Jesus. It's something that you can do. Very simple. Father, um, I know I'm a sinner. And I believe Jesus died for me. I believe he rose from the dead. I believe he's alive today. And I believe you did that because you love me. And because you wanted to, to redeem me and to save me and to forgive me. And I just want to say yes to you. I want to say yes to Jesus. I just want to give you my life and I want you to have me. God says, anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. You can come out of here today with an anchor point, and his name is Christ. Father, we thank you for the day. We thank you for your love. We thank you for your word. We thank you for for the mothers that are here. We thank you for how you've used them in our lives and the lives of our children. God, we, we know that there are probably some that did not have a good mother. Maybe their mother was absent. And God, we just want to we just want to ask that you would minister to those who this is a hard day for. Remind them that even when mom was not there, that you were. And God, I pray that they would find their joy in you. But God, we want to thank you for those godly women. For the godly women that we have here in this building. For their faithfulness. God, we want to thank you for the way that your son dealt with John's doubts. And how it helps us recognize his approach to our doubts. That we will have. That we may be having. God, I pray that you will help us to be honest about it. To seek encouragement for it. God, to look to your word, to trust those things that we have seen, the things that we've heard through the eyes and the ears of those who've gone on before us. God, I pray that you will increase our trust, even in difficulty, that you'll build our faith. God, we ask that you'll use us this week for your glory in whatever way you see fit, because you're not without limited understanding. You know exactly what you're doing. We ask that you'll accomplish your purpose and that you'll do it with us in whatever way you see fit. 
God, we love you. We trust you. We thank you. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, Amen. Amen.